I'd like to say good evening to each and every one. My name is Elizabeth, and my anonymity has been stuck to hell for a long time. <laughs> and uh, I'm called Liz in AA, and I stick to Liz. It sounds better than what I have been called. <laughs> and I'm the most definite alcoholic you ever could lay your eyes on. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity, and I hope I don't break down, because I've been highly emotional for the last few days. Uh, going to Hawaii doing that hula hula is really upsetting me. <laughs> and I'm trying to get back into the United States and act right, you know. Uh, but I want to thank the committee and Liz and Dennis and all the committees for this honor and privilege that you have bestowed upon me. Because it's mind blowing to know that you thought of me for this first roundup. And I hope you all will give this committee one of the greatest hands you ever did. <laughs> I'm going to get my thank yous out the way if you all don't mind. The next thank you I want to give is to Kathy. Kathy has been calling me off and on the phone for these past three years into New York. And that's what I am there for, to be of service to any one of you that ever want to call me, for my opinion. And whatever I say here tonight is strictly my opinion, not the opinion of this conference or AA as a whole. And I would like you to thank Kathy and Jerome for meeting me at the airport, and Kathy has really been a tremendous hostess to me. Please stand up, Kathy. <laughs> I want John and Mary Ellen to stand up because they gave me the roses tonight and I almost took six. And she gave me a card and she asked me not to open it up. There's my friend's picture. Thank you. I want to thank all of you for coming to make this weekend a tremendous weekend. And next year, I guarantee you, you'll need twice this room for what's going on here this weekend. This is the first, and you've made it tremendous. Again, I personally thank you. For those of you that have heard me time and time and time, again, Jenny, you and your husband, even, you know, I can name names up here. There's a young kid came here today that heard me in Palm Beach. So you might hear me anyway. I'm like the bad penny. I just float all over the place, you know. Uh, but I haven't gone out and gotten anybody a new story. But the one I came here was a woo Now, what I would like to suggest, and notice I'm not telling you what to do, but I suggest that as I'm speaking here tonight, that you pray with me. So, see, my primary purpose is to stay sober. You just see, I stood up for 41 years of sobriety and a little more. And I plan to stay sober. And just pray that I reach somebody in this room. Just pray that I reach somebody so that you'll stay here and get the joy of living. Because it is the joy of living. You don't come in here to drop dead. You come in here to live. And let me tell you, it gets so good, it'll scare the hell out of you. And when it gets that good, you got to watch it. Because we don't know how to handle good, you know? I want to thank Diane for speaking today. She was just gorgeous. 
I want to thank Shirley. I could identify with these ladies today. I was, and both, Mr. Bailey, Jesus, amen, amen, amen. I just amen these people to death today. Because I really enjoyed them. And tomorrow morning, look forward to my precious Ken. He has told me tonight, this is my fifth time being with him. See, he kept up with it. I couldn't keep up with it. But thank you, Ken. And I'm going to sit and, and uh, as Arthur Doctor used to say, if the good Lord's willing, I'll be here in the morning. You know? There was a minister preaching. And he says, if you drink alcohol, you're doomed to die. And a little old lady down front said, amen. He said, now if you smoke those cigarettes, you're doomed to die. And the little old lady, she said, amen. He said, now if you chew tobacco, he said, look at that. He done stopped preaching and gone to meddling. <laughs> go to meddling. You know, the truth hurts us, but the truth will set you free. And we hate the truth. We really hate it, but if you face it. I'm the oldest of five children. I was born in Brooklyn, but I was raised in Manhattan on 163rd between Amsterdam and Edgecombe. My dad was a pitiful drunk. As you know, I'm not allowed to call anyone an alcoholic but myself. And I used to grieve about my dad's drinking. I don't know about dysfunctional. I just learned that in the last two years. I know I came from a broken up home. A broken up home. And I know that I used to watch the police beat my dad with the bullies. The blood would spatter. Neighbors would hit him with frying pans and the blood would spatter. And I watched my dad come out of Mother Cabrina Hospital so many times. I lived directly in front of the hospital. Wrapped up like a mummy. I am ever grateful that I was in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous when my dad hung himself at Central Lifeship. I've never seen my mother take a drink in my entire life. And for many, many years, I've been wishing I could give that lady two lousy drinks and bring her to hell into this closet. <laughs> so she could use the whole 12 steps in the 12 positions. My mom passed away six years ago, three days short of being 95, so you know she had a good life. My mom made my first drink. She made rice wine from the ingredients that she received from the welfare, and she made it in large crockery. And she left myself and a little girl named Marion to sieve this rice wine from Seaport. And to show you the difference, Marion sieved and sipped two lousy drinks, and she went home. But I sieved and sipped. I sieved and I sipped. I sieved and I sipped. Now I'm only 12 years old and I'm sieving and sipping. And I put on a drunk at 12 that was a drunk. And my mother lectured to me all night long. And the next day I had the nerve to go out and shake my little self and tell my friends, whoo, what a ball I had. I don't even remember what the hell happened. And that began to be the pattern of my life. If you didn't drink to get drunk and pass out, please don't bother with me. Don't do that. I could never stand one of them sippers all night long. Jesus, it got on my nerves. Because I didn't drink with those kind of people. I'm going to tell you that right now. So at the age of 14, I began to sell King Kong. And I want you to believe it was King Kong. It's good you straightened it knocked the hell out of you, too. 
And I bought it from the man who made it in the bathtub next door. I bought it by the gallon, and I was selling it for 40 cents a cream pitcher. Now, someone suggested that I take mayonnaise, olive oil, butter, cream, line myself up. You know how they even tell you to eat a good meal? Honey, that King Kong was so powerful, it went all through the mayonnaise, the olive oil, the butter, the cream. I stopped taking that sick stuff. And I drank me plenty of booze. I made some good money. I put a better table and shoes on my brother and sister's feet. And, of course, now I'm getting drunk at a certain hour, and I have to be padlocked into a side room for my protection. At the age of 14, I'm laying out the window one night, and I see this, oh, dude, Lord, he was just tipping on down the street. I, I wanted to fall out the window, he was so shocked. And, and, and he had this roll of money, and I said, whoop, got me a live one. You know, I was always looking for a live one, you know. I look for live ones in AA, too. I don't look for that head from AA. Uh-uh. And I just went down, and I saw this roll of money, and I said, whoop, live one, honey, go get him. Went on down there, and I found out it was a $5 bill around a lot of ones. But I latched on to him anyway, and I went from uptown New York to the lower east side of New York, and I would come and give you a place so you'd give me a place. At the age of 14, I felt that I was a woman. I'm drinking, I'm partying, I'm hanging out. So I run up to my mom one night, and I said, would you sign for me to marry this man? He's 10 years older than myself. And she said, oh, no, dear. Over my dead body. That man will have you out in the street, and you'll live a terrible life with that man. And I found out something about myself at the age of 14. Don't you ever, but never, tell me what not to do. Because there's something in my nature, when you tell me what I can't do, I'm going to do it if I pay every price. I paid a hell of a lot of prices. i got to tell you all why I stayed in AA. They suggested everything to me. Nobody told me what to do when I got here. They suggested everything. Now, I quit school at 14. I took sleeping jobs. I was drunk every Thursday and Sunday. At the age of 17, I left New York, and I went to Baltimore, Maryland. On the third day of January, 1939, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I was standing in the courthouse being married. And I cried through the whole wedding ceremony. And the minister stopped my ceremony, and he says, My dear young lady, would you mind just telling me what's the matter with you? I said, At last, I got him. Well, I'm going to be honest with every one of you in this auditorium this evening. That was the sorriest day of Mr. Bailey's life when he said, I do, to Liz Ulrich. Mr. Bailey never stopped crying from January 3rd, 1939, till he went home with the Lord August 12th, 1986. That was a sorry day for that man. Now, I'm 17, and I've got this marriage license, and it means no more mama. No more neighbors. Nobody is going to tell me how to live. I'm 73 now going on. And can you imagine what I was at 17? Woo! I'm coming back here to New York to paint it red, honey. I'm going to take, take it over. I got back to New York and my husband gave up every liquor joint. He gave up gambling, he gave up hustling, he gave up going to parties, and he sat down. And I became a mental case at the age of 17. Because here I am, really to go, and this cat's sitting, and he sat from January 3rd, 1939. So they went home with the Lord, August 12th, 1996. 
And I, I couldn't take that sitting down. Now, I'm going to tell you that right now. And so I started nursing my little drink through the week. I began to look forward to weekend drunks. Now, I had to have a drink to wash, to iron, to pour, pour, to cook, anything. I had to have a drink. And I watched the change come over me. I began to curse. Every word came out of my mouth was a curse word. I watched another change. I began to fight everything and everybody. I watched another change. I began to leave my house from one day to three weeks at a time. Once I picked up the drink now, I couldn't tell any of you where I was going to wake up at. Many, many people pulled me up on the topic. Why do you drink the way you do? Why do you act the way you do? You have a beautiful home. I didn't call it a home. It was a house. I had every material thing any woman on this earth would want. And material things would never get me sober. It never kept me sober. The refrigerator was nice for five minutes and in the hell with it the next day, you know. And I'd be off to the races again. And Mr. Bailey happened to be a furrier girl. Every time I had a period of dryness, when I just couldn't drink anymore, it was coming out of my nose, my ears. I just couldn't drink. I had to lay low. So he would make me another fur coat. One year, he made me the most gorgeous leopard coat you've ever seen in your life. He put a lining in it and another lining in it, and he brought it home and he threw it out on my bed. And I looked at that leopard coat and I hated it. I gave it away because I said he made it so he could spot me anywhere, you know? <laughs> and the poor man never turned the corner to look for me because I didn't know what corner I was swinging myself. And of course, I uh, kept on drinking. And I used to stay on my knees to Mr. Bailey, please forgive me. I don't want to drink like this. I don't want to act like this. And he would tell you in 20 minutes to an hour, I'd be off to the races again. One of my neighbors pulled me up on the carpet. And she said to me, I'm very much ashamed to live next door to somebody like you. Would you mind telling me what's the matter with you? I said, oh, Jim Lee, I suffer with my nerves. And she suggested that I drink rum. Isn't that nice? <laughs> I left her standing in my little bitty kitchen, and I ran around to the Empire Liquor Store, and I bought a bottle of rum. Now, I lived in Jamaica, Long Island. I'm still waiting for one of you drunks to tell me how in the hell did I wake up in Rochester, New York, with that bottle of rum. I don't know how I got to Rochester, New York. But a beautiful lady took me in off the streets up there into her home. And here's where I became a booze fighter. I put a shot in my coffee in the morning. I call it Coffee Royal. I would hide that lousy bottle all over this lady's house. I'd put it up in the old-fashioned toilet tank. And I'd be drunk going up and down this tank all day, drinking the cold booze, you know. And then when the lady came home, I'd be oofing and boofing and poor soul. She didn't know what to do for me. And so she sat me down by the fire one night. And she said, you know, Liz, you're a lovely person, but drinking is your problem. And she filled me with so much guilt and remorse. I had this anyway because I'm up there fighting the booze. I don't know where I'm at. I'm away from my three children. And so I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit in the Catholic church all day just so I can peel this lady's potatoes and at least do a decent thing to get her dinner started for her. Well, I did. I sat in the church all day to four o'clock. I walked out of the church. Now, you know, bars had a tendency of pulling me in. I'd fight outside in the street sometime about 10 or 15 minutes. I'm not going in there. But each time I thought it was going to be different and that I was going to control it and master it. So I get into the bar after coming out of the church, and I say to the bartender, and you've drunk this with me because you've all done it, I said, give me one to relax. 
I'm going to peel this lady's potatoes today. Give me two to get started so I can peel this lady's potatoes. Now, when I drank, they gave a third free drink, and you do not walk out on a free drink. That's not nice. You don't do that. Then I have to buy one back to look good. It's very important that I look good. And I get to the fourth or the fifth drink, the hell with her and her potatoes, baby, let's roll. So, you know, the lady never got any potatoes from me. I called up Mr. Bailey, and he banged up the phone on me. And then I called my neighbor who had my children. And she said, Liz, would you please come home? Your little girl is crying to you, and uh, she won't eat. And I said, okay, Barbara, I'll come home. Well, for me to come home now, I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong, but i got to come in fighting if I want to get in. If I came in nice, you'd see Mr. Bailey throw me out the front door in shopping bags and brown bags, and now I'm sleeping in unfinished basement. And they're screaming at me, don't drink down there, and don't smoke down there. And then I'd go home in the day, take care of my children, and back to the basement until he would let me come back into the house. Of course, now I continued to drink. And one morning I woke up, my head was coming off my body. I put a raw egg in the beer. I took anison, beef seeds, alka-seltzer. I took everything and straightened my head out, and I couldn't get it straightened out. So I reached over and I grabbed the Bible off my night table. And I figured, maybe I'll find something in here to straighten this rotten, filthy life of mine up. And as I did that, Mr. Bailey came by my bedroom and he says, Put that Bible down, you hypocrite. Put it down. Twenty minutes to an hour, you'll be so drunk, you'll be slapping one of the kids down. He was right. Nobody got in the way of me getting a drink. He said, Oh, you'll be hopping a cab. And the cab driver used to say, Please take somebody else's cab. Took me three days to clean up my cab behind you. I wanted to know who the hell he think he was. I paid 50 cents to get in that cab. Don't tell me who to take. Or I would be swinging a corner. And this is the first time I ever thought of suicide. I literally ran and jumped up into the second floor window. And as I'm ready to throw my body down into the yard, there's a little lady named Nana Baca. And she's screaming, Mr. Bailey! Mr. Bailey, you better get her. She's going to jump. Now, I'm in this window. He comes out the next window, and I see his hands come out. He says, Nana, will you let that fish jump? I got back into that bed, and I pulled the sheet over me and slept that one off. I continued to drink. Now I began to hit the hospital with broken fingers. Girls, don't you ever fry a frozen chicken drunk. Don't do that. I knocked the grease over, burned up both of my legs. The good sisters are fixing my legs every day. And as long as I drank, these legs stayed like raw meat. You know, I came into AA and these legs have healed up that you would never believe that I've been drinking. I ain't showing them to you either, you know. <laughs> but I've never been drinking. But the good sisters used to lecture to me that they would please come to the alcoholic clinic on a Tuesday. It went in this ear and out that ear. I continued to drink. And I watched myself going down. I had a lousy $2 beer drunk. And I came in and he says, look at this, you're drunk again. I said, don't argue with me when I'm drinking. I don't already told you to keep your mouth shut as much as you can with me when I'm coming off a drunk. Now, would you do me a favor? See me up to the bedroom. I remember he walked me three steps, 
And when I came to, I had a black flat suit on that day and a gold coat. I came to, I was stretched out on a bench. A policeman was sitting at the foot of me. My front two teeth was doing like this and blood was all over me. I didn't know where I was at. People were walking around on the ceiling, looked like. And a big man standing in the door did like this to me. Now, if this isn't a God, I don't know, but I answered all his questions and how I answered who was the president and what day it was and all this stuff, I don't know until today. But he told Mr. Bailey to take me home. And I said to Mr. Bailey, don't you lay down, because I'm going to get you for taking me to some King's County. You know that man sat up in chairs for three nights, don't you? He was afraid to lay down, and I don't blame him. I might have got him if he laid down on So he sat up. But I continued to drink, and I'm watching me go down. He came to me one night, and he said, you know, Liz, you're the nicest wife when you're sober. Drunk, you're a second on the high. Why don't you try this AA? When you desire a drink, run over to the telephone and pick up the phone and call somebody to talk you out of the drink. Uh, I'm not going into the flowery words of what I said to Mr. Bailey, okay? Because cursing is my character defect. And I really get very disturbed nowadays when I hear these women get up here with the four-letter words and all this cursing. Because that belongs in the street. It don't belong in here. Believe me, it don't. And so I try not to curse. I really try not to curse. I've tried to clean up my act. But you know what I told him to do with AA, though, don't you? Okay. <laughs> Dr. Granite just said to him, you go home and you tell Mrs. Bailey. She's either going to drink herself to death, she'll drink herself into a mental institution, or she will drink herself into Alcoholics Anonymous. And once you tell her that, keep your big mouth shut and take care of Mr. Bailey. I praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, that man never mentioned AA to Jennifer. I drank another eight to ten months. I've never been able to pinpoint it. It's not important. But this is my last drink I'm going to tell you about. I have been beaten to the pulp so bad that I couldn't come out of my house because I was nasty in the last of my drinking. And I remember this lady was coming to sell some insurance for the house. And I got up in July, and I straightened up. I left the dusting even for last. And now I'm drinking with hard, toothless drinkers in the DFW Hall on 110th and Merrick Road. Not that all veterans are hard, toothless drinkers, but I was with this hard, toothless drinkers. And I heard this guy's voice, and I banged the phone up. And he called me back the second time. He said, Liz, I said, listen, don't bug me today. There's a lady coming here. I haven't seen her since I'm eight years old. I really want to stay here and see her today because I know me. I know me very well now. And I took the phone and banged it up the second time. I went to the store and I came back. He was on the phone for the third time. He said, do me a favor, Liz. Hop a cab. I'll introduce you to the people. I'll put you in the cab and I'll send you back home to your company. I figured, let me do this because he's going to drive me up a wall. I get a cab and I go over there and the bulls start lining up, the jukebox is going and I'm singing, you always hurt the one you love, <laughs> the one you don't want to hurt, oh, give me another drink, smile if you're happy, give me another drink, I could sing them all weeping happy songs, you know, and when I woke up, I was 
in one of my son's twin beds. Now don't ask me how I got into this twin bed. I will never be able to tell you. But at the foot of the twin bed stood my mom and Mr. Bailey. And my mom is screaming to the rooftop. And her head is going like this. And she's saying, somebody done done something to her. Somebody done done something to her. And I look over at Mr. Bailey. And his head is going. And he's saying, no mom, no mom, nobody's done anything to her. She happens to be a very sick girl. She didn't call me sick. You know my name is sick. But he said I was a sick girl. And when he said that, something went all over my entire body. And I got up from that bed and I went to the basement of that house. And I stayed in the basement for two days praying to God. I wanted out. I looked over at my oldest son sitting in the basement the second night. He was reading a book. And I said to him, Richard, I can't live like this. This is not the way I want to live. I'm going to go up on the Long Island Railroad. And I'm going to jump in front of a train. And I'm just going to end it all. And I started screaming, oh, God, oh, God, please help me. I have never screamed to God so as I did that second night in the basement. And something spoke to me as clear as I'm speaking to you. Try this AA that your father has told me about. I took the telephone books down off the counter I had, and I called AA, and they didn't have anyone to send me. I got myself together, and I went into Manhattan at 28th Street and Lexington Avenue, into group with one flight up over a bar. I got in the vestibule, and I said, the hell with AA. Then I said, no, you're taking the bus, the subway, you run a couple of blocks, try to get up those stairs again. As I got in the middle of the landing to go turn around, to go down into the bar, a lady looked down the stairs at me and she said, are you having trouble? I said, yes, ma'am, because I was having trouble getting up the stairs. So I ran up the stairs to her, she escorted me into the front part of the office, and she sat down and she started to tell me about her life. Oh, my God. Who talks about themselves like this? My mother says put it in a closet, in a drawer, under a rug. But don't you can't go out and tell nobody where you got the black eyes, the busted mouths, the fights in your home. And I, she says to me, you know, Liz, it's the first drink. I says, oh, come on, sweetie. I've been drinking for 19 years. She said, Liz, when you pick up one drink, of any type of alcohol, even down to corp medicine, and please watch these 5% drinks that you all feel it's no alcohol. Because she taught me, she said, it's only a matter of time that a compulsion sets up into you that you have to go all the way. Boy, did she hit me because I've seen myself take two drinks on a Monday drink, two lousy drinks on a Tuesday, you're looking for me. Wednesday, I'd go to Gert's department store, I'd buy a fifth. I drank the whole fifth and nothing happened. Oh, man, I done found the brand I can drink. You know I ran back there Thursday and got me another bottle, don't you? Friday, I'm knitting without needles. Have any of you knitting without needles? <laughs> but I'm walking up and down, and I'm knitting, and I've got to go get that drink to get me back and focus. And she said, we do it one five minutes, one ten minutes, one hour, one day at a time. We do it with meetings, 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 and we do it with a sponsor. I don't want one of you in this auditorium tonight to tell me that you can't find a sponsor out of two and a half million people. There's got to be somebody good for you in one of these rooms. 
because it's a we program. We can do together what I could never do alone. There's somebody good for you. And she said, gave me two meeting places to go to. And I said, oh, I can't go to St. Benedict. My children go there. Then I said, well, if the priest sees me, he must know that I need help. And if it's in the church, it must be for good. Now, I don't know about you girls, but my hair used to stay drunk, you know? And, and my beautician was always getting there after me about getting up out of her chin. She just left my chair. Shut your mouth. I paid you. You know, don't bother me about my hair. Mr. Bailey would give me money for clothes. I never could find the clothes because I drank it up. So this time I'm going to AA. I get my hair done. I buy a little two-piece blue suit. And I go to my first AA meeting. I walked into this meeting, and there's two girls behind the coffee counter. I'm only mimicking them. I'm not making fun of them. And they looked up at me and said, you don't look like an alcoholic. I said, what the hell did I get myself into? And let me get the hell out of here. And I started running out of the room, and when I came to AA, they kept two people at the door, okay? Because, <laughs> uh, see, there was no halfway homes. There was no detox units. There was nothing 41 years ago for what you have today. Nothing. And as I headed out the door, this man slapped me over here on the shoulder, and he says, what's the matter with you? Where are you going? I said, those girls said I don't look like an alcoholic. I don't know what an alcoholic looks like. You know my company never talked like that. Nobody talked like that 41 years ago or more. I come to your house, I say, hi, how you doing? You say, what you drinking? You didn't even say good morning. Or what we tipping in for. That's what I got when I came to your house. And so as I'm headed out the door, he hit me on my shoulder, and I told him I was about to lose my mind, my home, my children, and everything through drinking. He said, have a seat, sweetie. You're in your right place. And they put two tables together like this that night, and each one of the members sat around, and they shared their strength and their hope and their experience with me. I must say this twice. It is but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. Alcoholics Anonymous. Al-Anon. I scream Al-Anon. I've been a member of Al-Anon for 38 years. Lois and I used to stick together. Mm -hmm. The last time I was with Lois, we had dinner in Sing Sing, and we spoke together in Sing Sing. That's the last time I was with Lois. Uh-huh. And thank God for Al-Anon. Thank you for teaching me the MYOB. I love that. Mind my own business. That's wonderful. Teach me out of a lot of trouble. Believe me. Mind my own business. And and love with detachment. Oh, honey, I can love you and detach you just like nothing. Believe me. <laughs> oh, thank God for Al-Anon. Uh, Alateen, Alatot, OA, GA, PA, NA. The only A I haven't spoken at is Sex Anonymous. I refuse to go to Seattle, Washington to put my sex life on that tape. You hear me? To come across the United States. Because I still have a family. And he wrote me an 11-page letter. He was so angry with me. That's his problem. And I let it alone. Of course, now, I came to AA July the 11th, 1952, at the age of 31. And July the 11th, I celebrated 41 years. And I celebrate on Jones's Feast every year. Over 1,500 of you come out to celebrate with me every year. You come as far as Hong Kong to be with me. And it's so beautiful. And they talk about it all year long. They walk up to me and say, I was at your anniversary. I said, you were? Because, you know, I don't know 1,500 people at one time. And it's just gorgeous how you love me. 
And I thank God you loved me until I could love myself. I didn't know how to love myself when I got here. I mistreated me and my loved ones, and I didn't realize I affected nine people around me either. Think about the nine people that you affect. I had a slogan to each his own. I'm drinking this stuff and you don't want for anything. I made a soul the rest if you mess with me. And so again, I, they told me about meetings, 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 meetings. And I would suggest that you go to the meeting you don't want to go to. That's the one you get the zinger every time, okay? They told me not to get sober for anybody but for myself. I thank God they taught me that. They told me don't do it for my mother. Because if I had to stay sober for my mother, I'd have been drunk and drunk and drunk. It took my mother 29 and a half years of my sobriety to tell me to stay with them A's, whatever they are. <laughs> and I don't plan to leave these A's, I'll tell you that right now. Mr. Bailey couldn't stand me sober. He couldn't take the new me. And he took my first 10 years of AA, and I mean he worked overtime to get me back into the streets of New York. I didn't come into AA through a bedroom. I came through the streets of New York. And, of course, now, 31 years ago, I had the honor and privilege of speaking for our late co-founder, Bill Wilson, at the Hotel Commodore, to 2,700 people that night. And when I arrived back at the house, Mr. Bailey banged every pot on the stove, and he screamed that he had to get rid of me, that he couldn't stand me and this sobriety another minute. And I use the third and eleventh step. That's your decision maker in here. Man do not make decisions for you in here. And at three o'clock in the morning, God spoke to me just like I'm speaking to you. If I pick up one drink, I don't have me. If I pick up one drink, I don't have Mr. Bailey, and I didn't have him anyway. And when I pick up one drink, I just told you I'm not in my house. I'm in the street from one day to three weeks at a time, waking up where I don't even know where I'm at. And full of guilt and remorse of what I'm doing to my three beautiful children. And of course now I continue to go to meetings and they told me there's my son. I went, I want to finish with Mr. Bailey. I don't let the man even die. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> but you know, I went back seven years ago to him to take care of him in his last days because I stood on these platforms for years telling you how I loved him. And I loved him because when I got sober, I could see he put three of the children through college. He kept the home going. He kept everything going while I was in the street. He could have cashed it all in, but he didn't. And you know, today I'm back in my home. I call it a home. And let me tell you girls, it's paid for. Isn't that nice? See? And I'm really calling it an AA home. And I enjoy being in there. My oldest son hated my living gut. The one that was sitting there reading the book at the age of 12. He's 53 now. And he let me know for many years of my sobriety. I hate your guts. I'll never forgive you or forget you. And I had to come into AA to learn how to forgive myself. I was ignorant as far as alcohol and alcoholism was concerned. And I had to forgive myself. And then I found a God here that has forgiven me 70 times 7. So any man, any woman, any child want to hold my past over my head, I let it be their problem. And you better believe it. Because he has forgiven me to live this beautiful life, a beautiful life. And here again, just this year, I took very, very sick in January. They opened me up with my ninth operation and they closed me back. And it frightened me. I didn't think I was going to live. And I called the nurse who came around with a flashlight one night to my room. 
And I said to her, may I speak to you? I want to make a confession. I said, I believe in a God. I really have tried to live a good life. And I believe that I'm dying. Oh, Miss Bailey, you don't tell God when to take you. He knew when to take you. I said, oh, let me shut up with this woman, you know. And, and, and then in the morning, she came, my good morning, Miss Bailey, how are you? I said, I don't know, I seem to die in the night, but I sure come alive in the day. So, and God has brought me back now out of this ninth operation. And I don't know why he's brought me back, but he uses me mightily. And that's why I hope and pray and take it very sincerely up here that I reach you, that I reach somebody that you stay here. And so I'm back on the road again. I've covered about six or seven states already since I've gotten better. And I go wherever I'm called to go. And that's what I was taught to do when I got here, that we never say no. When it comes to, this was freely given to me. I've got to freely give it away in order for me to keep it. Whether you like it or not. I got people back in New York. Oh, there she goes again. Yeah, as long as the motor's running, I'm going. And I'm going to wear out, not rust out. I'll tell you that right I listened to my friends today, Bo and Nikki. And my heart went with you today because I had a handsome son. Oh, he was just like me, you know. He was an addict and an alcoholic. He was a fine dude. And I used to say to him, Dennis, he was an addict and an alcoholic. And I used to say, Dennis, the right road may be hard, but you'll be the winner. The easy road, the price is heavy. And my son chose the easy road. And he was shot and killed at 2 o'clock in the morning 23 years ago. I had 18 years of sobriety when he was, his life was stuffed out. Now, this is for me now. This is not for anybody else. I do not cry for my dead son. June 10th, I say happy birthday to him. Christmas, I'll say Merry Christmas to him. But from the day his life was snuffed out, I believe that he went to open the gate for me. Okay? That's my belief. And I don't believe in crying for the dead because he's got a beautiful spirit. And I don't want to ever disturb his spirit. Okay? That's for me. My sister, six weeks after my son was shot to kill, she was an alcoholic also, and she went into Manhattan and she jumped 30 floors. And to see my son, and then to see her crushed body, I went through something, but i got to tell you the truth. I didn't go through it alone. AA members have always stuck by me through anything that I've had to grow through in this fellowship. And so, of course, I don't cry for time. Connie left five children. Again, now I have an older daughter. She was five years old when I stopped drinking. And I thank my God she don't ever remember me as a drunk. Because she would use my life to hurt her life. She's had five mental breakdowns. See, this is again what she said today. This is a family disease, whether you want to accept it or not. Because all my family was affected by me and my active drinking in the streets of New York. Judy is out of her fifth mental breakdown now. She's in college. She's driving her car. She bought herself a home. And I'm very proud of Judy. Judy came to visit me Thursday, and I make a fuss over her. She's really a beautiful girl. She's 46 and living a good life today. 
Now I have a beautiful AA baby. She's 37. And I named her after AA because without AA that chick would have never been around and you know that. <laughs> her name is Adrian Anita. But 18 years ago she turned to be a Muslim. And she wears the crown and she covers her beautiful face. She's had 12 babies but six for living. And we comes down to New York from Boston twice a year to get her meat. And we went into the AMT and I had a black hat and a black coat and she's got all this shroud and the cashier says, Oh, it's a stick up, it's a stick up. <laughs> I got hysterical laughing and I went to the floor of the AMT. And coming back on the subway, she speaks so proper since she's in Boston. And she says, Mother, are you accepting me as a Muslim? I said, you join Buddhism, Buddhism, I really don't care whoism, as long as it helps you be a better person. And I am not raising any more children, come on, I'm still raising them. I have 12 grandchildren that I see by appointment only. And believe that, believe it. And God has privileged me to live to see two great grandchildren. I never dreamt that I would have great grandchildren. I admit and I accept and I surrender to the fact that I am an alcoholic. I have no choice to pick up a drink. Not if I want to live this life. I have no choice. I want you to think about that. Not if I want to live this life. It took me five years in AA to believe in a higher power. The first five years, if you had ever mentioned God to me, I'd lay your soul to rest. Because nothing was going my way once I got sober. And I couldn't understand all this hell breaking loose in my life now that I'm sober. My brain headaches. Deep, deep depression. Isolation. And I cried a lot. And my main cry all my life has been loneliness. All my life I've been looking for someone to love me, to understand me, to do something with me, and I never found it in the streets of New York until I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And the love that I have received. I just came from Hawaii. I gotta tell you, I cried three days in Hawaii from the love and the warmth and the beauty of Hawaii. I finally made the 12 coconut trees. If you ever go there, go at 7 in the morning to the coconut trees. We're all under the coconut trees at 7 in the morning. And it's beautiful. But here again, I didn't start to get well in AA, so I started to put one hand in God and I had the other one in AA. And I made seven meetings a week and three times on Sunday. I started 12-stepping. I'd bring the drunks home with me. I'd put women and men on my living room couch. And I would work with you till I could get you out to a meeting. And of course, I made seven meetings a week and three times on Sunday. I still make five meetings. And if you notice at these conventions, I make every workshop, I make every meeting that I can make. Because I can't give out unless I take something in. And so I have to recharge in order to give out. Otherwise you get burnt out. Okay? And so again, I came to believe there was a power greater than myself. And my spiritual awakening was to learn that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Woo!
thank you, John. I can talk to him any time or place, and I loved AA because it told you to find your own higher power. It's wonderful what AA teaches you. And mine, and I never wanted my mother. My mother was an ordained minister, minister, and I used to tell her, I don't want your God. So AA allowed me to find my own God, and I thank him for that. Today I can admit to God to myself and another human being the exact nature of my wrongs, and I must do that if I want to be free. And you know the big book tells us we get free from bondage. And I can tell you I'm free, free at last. Woo! Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Some kids say, yeah, Martha Luther King went to the top of the mountain, Liz, but I'd be damned if you ain't been through the mountain. So I've been through the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> been through the mountain. Yeah. I've gone up and had six, three operations in six weeks. And they told me I had cancer. And the doctor gives me six months to live. And I looked at this doctor and I said, don't talk to me that way. I'm in a fellowship that teaches me I live one day at a time. Try your best to get into that 12, 24 hours. Because life is full of yesterdays and no tomorrows. Your life is today. And the awareness of now is so tremendous. What are you doing now is the most important part of your life. Right now. And again, I went and had a heart attack. I was cut from ear to ear. Two glands were taken out of my throat. And I couldn't speak. And I said, okay, God, you threw at me? No, you see, he's not threw at me. He brought me back so strong again that I have to stand up here and say, cool it, because I've seen you all come up here to see, so I'll tell you the truth. See, so I stand up and say, cool it. And again, I've had two operations with this. Gallbladder. And each doctor can't get this gallbladder out. And I said, well, I've had it for 30 years, and if I keep it another 30, I'll be 102, and who the hell cares, all right? <laughs> I just have to watch what I eat, that's all. And I eat, too. But I came back this time from the live food of Jesus. But again, I've had to ask God, humbly to help me with my shortcomings, humbly to help me with my character defects. And I've had to make amends to live. I've had to learn how to love me in order to love you. I have to get it from me in order to give it to you. And again, I've made amends to my loved ones. I've made amends to a lot of my neighbors. They kicked me all in the head, up and down my arms. I've never had a car in my whole sobriety. And every night a different white dude comes and picks me up, you know. And my neighbors say, oh my God, from a drunk to this, what is she putting down? You know? And I thank God I know what I'm putting down. But there was a time I couldn't tell you what I was putting down. And, uh, oh, I couldn't tell you that. And so... Uh, I uh, remember one of my friends coming out from work, and he had a pocket full of money. And the guy said, stick him up. He said, man, don't you see I got a disease? And the guy ran from him. <laughs> he said, man, he didn't even wait for me to tell him I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and I remember that when I said to Mr. Bailey, what am I going to tell my friends when they ask me to have a drink? He said, tell them you got a disease. I'm walking around telling people I got a disease. I looked it up in the dictionary and it means disease with oneself. 
I'd rather tell you I have the disease of alcoholism. And you all got to know that I'm not cured. The progression of alcoholism is still going on inside of me. And if I picked up one drink of any type of alcohol, see, I've been dry for over 41 years. You know I'm bought like paper? I saw it like paper, and I would never make it back here. You know why I wouldn't make it back? Because the guilt and remorse would kill me, because I know where the answer lies, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care how sick you are, make a meeting. Make a meeting, and you'll come out much different. You'll come out of every meeting different than you walked in it, and give yourself to others. And just keep this love going in AA because I tell you, I can't stand to see AA get cold. It bothers me. I, tonight, I think his name is Henry. I didn't even want Henry to sit alone. And we never let anybody sit alone. I picked on my friend, another friend yesterday I saw sitting alone. Honey, he came over and we had a ball. Talking to one another. It's fellowshipping with one another. And we're all talking about the same thing. Boom. Same common ground. So keep the love flowing. Again, when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it. And when I'm right, I shut up. Because I don't try to prove myself to anybody. You keep yourself emotionally upset. And I'm a highly emotional person, a highly sensitive person I was, because you were always talking about me, you were always watching me. Those are the two things I came into AA with. And thank God I learned about people pleasing. People pleasing will lead you to resentment. And people pleasing will lead you to low self-esteem. And you better believe it when I tell it to you. Again, after my heart attack, I sat in the corner and I turned my life and my will over to the care of God and I got the answer to my life. It took 20 years for me to get it. I hope you don't take 20. So 21 years ago, sitting in the corner of my living room, turning my life over, I learned to take my scars and turn them into stars. Because I'm loaded with stars, drunk and sober. And I found the key to my life. And that is to seek God first and his kingdom and his righteousness for all things to be added unto me. I get up now and say, good morning, God, instead of, oh, God, it's another morning. I hate to see another day come. That I'm going to sweat it out. I've only had those two sick bouts in 21 years. Just two. Where before I was just staying in the hospital all the time. And I do make him first. After I've had a spiritual awakening. Now I was up at 3 o'clock this morning. I don't know what time you get up. But I really make God first. I do my little readings that I get. Those self-help books that gives you spiritual food every day. And of course... I must tell you so sincerely. My spiritual awakening is that I see things differently today and my values have changed. What I thought I used to have to have, I don't have to have anymore. What I thought I used to have to do, I must speak to the young people about your love affairs in any age. Watch the 13 steps. It's a very tough one. And I hope you do as AA suggested. And the big book doesn't have it. But AA for years has suggested don't make any major decisions or relationships under a year. And it makes sense to keep your emotions, because we're emotional people. Yes, we are. Highly emotional. And after a year, then God will send you somebody. Don't you go looking for anybody. 
But anything we look for, we look for a mess. You know that myself. We look for a mess. But there's been a lot of beautiful marriages in AA. And if you have nothing, I will tell you, do it a day at a time. I have seen you come in here with nothing, and I've seen you turn to be a millionaire and more. But it's not the material things that count. It's the spiritual part of the program that counts. Mentally, physically, and spiritually, I was beaten to a bottom that I couldn't go any lower. I just took you through the 12 steps of my life because that's what it's all about, the 12 steps and 12 traditions. I will beg you to go to tradition meetings to learn how to protect your sobriety, to learn how to protect AA as a whole. I burn up when I see you sitting on TV talking about I'm an AA member. You're not supposed to do that. That's breaking a tradition right there. And then you learn who governs AA. God is above AA, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Remember, AA is 58 years old. We'll be 59. And it was only 17 years old when I got here. And I thank God that I live in the day and time of Alcoholics Anonymous. Don't ever break that third tradition if you can. The only requirement for an AA membership is an honest desire. They took honest out because they know we lie, we cheat, we dark, we die, and we connive. And it's kind of hard to walk across that doorsill and be so honest, you know? But they know if you stay here, this program gives you a conscience. And you cannot do that lying and cheating and ducking and dodging anymore if you want to protect your sobriety. The sobriety is the key. As a drunk, I am nothing. As a drunk, I have nothing. But with sobriety, all things are possible. I went back to school after 44 years not being in school. June 4th, 1979, I graduated at, from the visiting nursing in New York. And you know, the head doctor, she handed me my diploma. She said, if I ever took sick, I want somebody like you to work with me. And you know why? Because I was in the field for two weeks before graduation, practicing the principles of AA in all my affairs. That's where it's at. And every time I ask God for a job, he gives me another speaking engagement. So I don't bug into a job no more. I'm 72 or more, and I want to live. And that's what the whole life is about, the joy of living. Remember that. I love all of you so dearly. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for such a beautiful visit here again. I'm looking forward to a day at a time, December the 4th, being in Cleveland, Ohio. I am booked into 95, one day at a time. And I laugh at that because I'm the drunk that people used to say, don't have her around. Jesus, don't tell her nothing that's going on. And now today, there's not enough for me to go around. And I have to laugh about it. But I do it one day at a time. And I love what I do, and that's why I can do it. And I love you all, and I thank the committee and all, and praise God for this first roundup that I was privileged to share with all of you. And I, Liz Bailey, can just touch one of you tonight again, that I, Liz Bailey, I have not lived in vain. Thank you so much.